Minutes from Latvia with Mike Collier. Well, welcome back to the Minutes from Latvia podcast. My name is Mike Collier and this is brought to you by Latvian Public Media. All the way from, I'm pleased to say, a very sunny Riga today. The uh, I always begin in a very boring way by talking about the weather, because I'm British and we have nothing else to talk about. And um, today the spring has arrived, so you can take it as read that um, it's springtime and therefore the weather is being spring-like. Uh, joining me in the pod, I'm pleased to say, is someone who would have done a much more professional introduction than that, because she's one of Latvia's top broadcasters, top journalists, and someone who is much more familiar with the business than my broadcast business, certainly uh, than myself. Her name is Inga Spring. Welcome to the pod, Inga. Hi, Mike. Inga will be familiar to many listeners uh, from TV, radio and print appearances. Uh, she's also uh, the founder of the Ray Baltica. It's not the institute. It's one of these rare things, which is an institute. It's a center for... Which is non-profit organizations, mm-hmm. the Baltic Center for Investigative Journalism. That is the, and it doesn't even have to have of excellence tagged on to the end, as everything seems to now. I like the fact that it says what it does. So, Inga... Maybe you could just give us a little bit of background about where you're from, how you ended up as a journalist. So uh, I come from small town Ruyen, uh, where already in grade nine I knew that I will be a journalist. So now all these torturous thoughts about what I will become when I will grow up. So I started to work in regional uh, TV at that time. Then I went to study in Riga, which is 150 kilometers away from from Ruyen. And uh, that time I started to work for public television. Uh, afterwards, I went to print, that time the largest uh, and the best quality newspaper in all Baltic countries, Diana, a day. And in uh, during crisis, in print crisis and economic crisis, uh, this newspaper, which was owned by Swedish uh, family, was unexpectedly sold to offshore companies and we many people as a protest left Diana, including all the investigative desk and uh, editorial editors. Uh, so my colleagues went and established weekly analytical magazine IR, but I went to United States for kind of a Fulbright Humphrey program. I was attached to University of Maryland, but it was excellent program because I didn't have to live in library. I was uh, given money to travel around and to re- uh, fulfill my dreams and to do my own project and at that time there was this idea to create non-profit journalism investigative center in Latvia which we enlarged and we made like Baltic Center. So um, I, I, I went to New York to see ProPublica how it works, I went to San Francisco to see how Mother Jones works, these are the biggest non-profits in America. And they also learned that in this part of the world, in Eastern Europe, in former Soviet Union, there is this network organized crime and corruption reporting project, or OCCRP, who, which focuses on organized crime. And they also consist of several independent small NGOs and, 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 and journalists. So we are now part of all of these big uh, main organizations and networks, and we are doing uh, investigations in, uh, in Baltic countries. Wow. Now, that's a lot of information there. I'm just going to rewind back to the beginning. Um, you mentioned that you always wanted to be a journalist. Now, for a start, that's something which is quite rare to hear from people. Uh, we often fall into it from uh, some other aspiration or some other direction. And I have seen online, there's a wonderful old film of you looking incredibly young, looking like you're at a school disco or something, mm-hmm. yeah. interviewing the boys about the girls. Yeah. Very professionally, with the microphone and everything. I mean, you say you always knew you wanted 
wanted to be a journalist. But uh, I mean, how did that manifest itself? Was there a moment or did it just always seem this was inevitable to you? I always knew that I want to be because there were two choices I, I could go after secondary school, either to be an actress or to be a journalist. But I decided to be a, a journalist because I really like to and unveil these wrongdoings because I have I come from family with poor background we always we were fighting for money where to get money because we wanted to build home like it was every family's dream in Soviet Union times so we were doing different kind of businesses we were growing and selling roses picking up cranberries in winter time uh, growing cabbages potatoes we went to Riga to sell it and always with the hope that all small car Zaporozhets yeah. will not break uh, during the the wait to the Riga and then because we had this regional TV which was uh, led by Ivar Zviedris who is actually also known uh, as film um, producer and director now in Latvia because of his enthusiasm I happened to be in this journalism environment and I realized that as a journalist I have this right and possibility to be at first in different environments and secondly uh, I have more courage to go and ask questions because I really hated when the people who have more influence or powers that they are overusing this and I knew how these small people feel so I felt like uh, this is something which I, I like to do I, I want to understand I want to understand mm. like um, when I was working for DNA I like to do these big portrait materials about rich influential guys I wanted to understand what are they saying to their consciousness or like to their heart why they are stealing this money or like why they are participating in corruption schemes how do they think why they think it's okay because their children still will have to live here in Latvia and uh, I also so was there the kind of this sense of injustice basically yes that, uh, yeah it was uh, me, me, mostly and secondly I like uh, collect and investigate facts I like this going after the facts and the find next and next and put the picture together It's interesting you say that because, I mean, it does seem to me, and this is certainly something I'm guilty of sometimes, a lot of journalists don't particularly like asking questions. I mean, you know, that that is basically the job is to get these answers. And yet it seems that, um, particularly in the modern media environment where everything is done kind of via Twitter and emails and things, that actual face-to-face, almost confrontation. I mean, you have fronted a TV show called One Against One as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's that confrontational thing, it seems, is being lost a little bit. I mean, is... There are different uh, facts which you mentioned now. One is, it's not a problem if there are journalist types who don't like to ask questions because sometimes you can get information by just being silent. Another person <laughs> feels uncomfortable and reveals more information. I think the worst thing is when people who are working as journalists are actually not interested in what they are doing because journalism is not like any other business you are responsible for what are you doing because you can really influence society you can influence what people think about and this is I think the most dangerous thing and the third thing about going actually and meeting people yes I agree this is this old as we call it like food journalism Mm -hmm. or leather journalism and I am guilty about the same this is what I'm telling to my colleague Sanita Okay, I want to do this story and I actually... 
I don't want to say exact project I'm working on, but it's very hard to get documents or to get people yeah. speak about this. So my goal is, yes, I will go, I will meet like tens of people with a hope that one of them will not uh, throw me out of the door and will say some facts. Yes, we have forgotten uh, this face-to-face uh, -face journalism. And actually, recently I watched again because I felt somehow very tired and exhausted after this first half of the year of so many projects. I watched uh, all the president's men, men Watergate, oh, yeah. because what they were actually doing, they were doing a lot of this leather journalism, just going out and meeting people mm -hmm. and being refused again, 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 again. So I watched this film to get kind of inspirations that it's okay. It's okay that yeah. you don't get in. It's always great to watch those films. I think particularly from the sort of mid-70s, things like the Parallax View as well, where journalists are kind of quite heroic figures, you know, uh, and sort of maybe a little bit uh, rough around the edges, but the role of journalism is is kind of taken in the film as being an important role and we kind of cheer these guys on whereas now it's, it's a lot of the time it's kind of well the media is terrible they're causing all these different problems it seems we've had a, a complete shift there yeah that's why i think the good thing what happened in investigative journalism field was this film about the boston globe spotlight uh, yeah. spotlight yes it, it, it again it gave a little bit like fresh feelings that not all journalists are biased and bad guys and we still have mm -hmm. this like watch watchdog goal and we go after bad guys. Speaking of doing investigative journalism in Latvia specifically, um, I wondered what the particular problems are because it seems to me that it's quite an unusual environment compared to some other countries in that kind of everyone knows what's going on. There's, there's a very small sort of elite, as you, they're sometimes referred to. Also, the media is, is a fairly small unit and you kind of know everyone, you kind of know what they're doing. There are rumours, they come around and usually you know, they turn out to be correct eventually. Um, so actually getting kind of the ideas for stories and the... the um, the awareness that there's a story there seems to be quite easy. But then, similarly, because there's a very small pool of people, if you can't get them to talk to you, you're kind of left on your own a little bit. You, there are not multiple sources and multiple routes to go mm -hmm. to get the story. Would that be a fair sort of characterization? <laughs> I, I think I disagree with you because I haven't had this as a problem so much. I think what's the biggest problem in investigative journalism in Latvia is that journalists still are going, what is all investigative journalism? It's mostly based on somebody's leaked documents. Mm. If, if there are some business people who have some arguings and then they leak some documents, I think that, uh, and still also, uh, what's bad for journalism in general and maybe also because of this crisis we will have to change that uh, we as a journalist for many last 10, 20, 30 years we were living like with this feeling like we know the best what people should care about. They should read about politics. I think this is one, it was one of the reasons why newspaper DNA failed and, and died at the end. I, well, DNA still exists but it's not anymore the same newspaper what it was like 10 years ago because we had this feeling like we know the best what people should read. But people actually care about other things. People care about their heating prices and uh, and so on and i think this is a problem that still our investigative journalism is, is based more on like somebody leaked some documents or we read some world bank said some one fact mm. and this is it we don't go after we don't go deeper we don't go and speak with these people face to face journalism we actually don't report on real problems what people face 
And this is what we are trying to do in Rebaltica, which is maybe not like investigative journalism, which is maybe more analytical and explanatory journalism, but by showing like what's happening actually in Latvian schools, that we have this big segregation between rich and poor children, that we have segregation between cities and rural area schools, what ha- what's happening with small wages. Now we are working on a new uh, project, it's, this will be demography, because uh, after uh, what will happen in 2030 for example we will have now we have 1.9 million people then we will have 1.7 million people last year we had 22000 uh, newborn babies in 2030 we will have 14000 newborn babies who will work here who will pay pensions for us i think these are the very maybe it's also because of my age and when i was younger i was so excited to get some materials about some corruption case <laughs> but then i had this feeling you know these corruption cases are the same like christmas they come every year and uh, you report and yes something is changing changing and so what at the end but we don't cover like systematically these things and recently, actually, I'm little, I'm I'm kind of kind of more optimistic because I see that public TV and also mainstream media take it over and they do analyzes like about this new tax system proposed by finance ministry, which actually again shows that rich people will benefit more than hmm. people with low income. I think this is what actually mostly journalism should be like caring about specific people and this is also the reason why we are losing also audience because again we write about this big corruption kind of cases or somebody somebody's mother you know earned of some parliament member some kind of money but we don't report that in this small village there are no jobs and nobody actually created these jobs well, I think, I mean, I, I completely agree. And I think another positive thing which has happened, and I think something which you have played a role in, I mean, Ray Baltic is now nearly six years old, yeah. is it? Um, is that what I used to get a lot would be people saying, oh, yeah, but, you know, Latvian journalists, we're no good compared to British or American journalists, or we have so much to learn. And yet now you look at what's happening in the US, the UK, and so on, and you see that actually, in a lot of ways, the local Latvian journalists are doing a better job. Um, They're kind of less likely to be coming out with sensationalist stuff. And as you say, reporting actual facts, real cases, real people who are living real lives. And I think it's just really positive that that whole you know, uh, fantasy about how everything, all the news was brilliant everywhere else except Latvia has completely shriveled up and died. And um, it, it kind of also, I wanted to ask you that um, it seems that a disproportionately large number of the really top uh, investigative journalists in Latvia are women. And I was wondering why that is. There's yourself, there's Sanita, Olga Dragileva, Ilza Jaunalsna, uh, Nelia Lochmeller at, uh, at mm-hmm. IR as well, one of the top uh, editors. I mean, is this just a p- pure coincidence or is there a reason? Are, are Latvian women better at asking difficult questions than men? I think it's not even about journalism. You can see it everywhere. You, we can see it everywhere. Uh, actually, what's happening like in top, 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 top jobs, like in ministers, there are always men. But who are the second one? Who are the actual who are doing the real work those are women because you know by statistics in Latvia women after 30 women are more than a man statistically and I think it's still like and I think it also comes kind of from Soviet times from second world war from deportations when very good men were like deported to Siberia that we still have this that women are more stronger kind of and more active and taking more initiatives than men but what I really am pissed off when I see like that as these 
live TV discussions like Tia Sharuna or something like that. That's quite often there are all of them are men who yeah. are discussing this one. Like, but actually the real job is done by women. And then I think let's throw them all over. We are the ones who are actually doing the stuff. Well, on that note, I mean, I saw you participating in a panel at Riga Castle uh, last week, and I think this was the first time oh. I've ever seen. It was a five-person panel, I think, and all the participants were women. And so I, I couldn't believe my eyes at first, but it was, a, it, it was surprisingly as well, it was a great panel. So, you know, maybe we should have more women panels. And I'm also pleased to say that this podcast is... 50% female and um, we're going to keep it we're going to keep it that way. Uh, we'll be back in a, a moment after this uh, brief break uh, talking actually about uh, the subject of that um, uh, panel at Riga Castle which is uh, fake news and fake news in the particularly in the um, the Latvian context. Minutes from Latvia with Mike Collier. Well, welcome back to the Minutes from Latvia podcast with me, Mike Collier. And joining me in the pod, which is heating up nicely on this warm day, is uh, Inga Springer of Ray Baltica. Um, as we were saying just before the break, Ray Baltica has been going for nearly six years now. It's broken lots of uh, important stories, uh, both on its own and in association with some other journalist groups as well. And it seems that a lot of attention journalistically is being spent on the phenomenon of fake news, which, I mean, I'm not entirely happy with it as a term, um, but you were doing a presentation on, on a Ray Baltica investigation into uh, fake news in the, the Latvian context uh, last week. I just wondered if you could give us a, a summary of what it was you discovered. Yeah, I think in general, I'm dividing now for myself, it's like my termination that there are two type of kind of, if you could say, like fake news. One is propaganda, which is officially like when other country wants to influence another country's society and opinions. And this is what we have observed, like at least for eight or even more years. It started already since Crimea when we had uh, and felt these Russia's uh, messages. Um, for example, we did investigation on family values, which really affected already the legislation in Latvia. And as a result, we have this uh, ban of using immoral educational materials of Latvian school, which really we were able to prove which come from this myth spread by, by Russian Yeah, I just websites. wanted to say, I, th I thought that was a really important investigation because there, there was, a, just to kind of key the listeners in, there was kind of a, a sudden rallying of the, what, portrayed themselves as traditional family values, um, you know, Christian values. You could argue about both of those those uh, definitions, uh, bringing in, you know, restrictive laws. Um, and I have a very definite feeling that those would have proceeded were it not for the fact that you drew attention to it. And it wasn't the fact that you were arguing against the values, but you were arguing against uh, the way facts. that this was, yeah, it was the facts. And it was the way that this was clearly a manipulative sort of campaign rather than a genuine attempt to um, address sort of moral issues and so on. Yeah, this is what I was saying, like, okay, it's normal. We live in a democratic country. You can believe in conservative values and liberal values values, you might like gays or don't like gays, but the problem is facts which are you using. And we could see 
visit on the internet uh, consciously that I fled uh, facts which are wrong, which are misleading. And what was the worst thing that our parliament members in their discussions on parliament to make these um, changes in law, they were using these false mm. facts. And this was the problem what I wanted to show in our investigation and also by using infographics. So this is one part, like this kind of propaganda. And the second one is like really like fake news, by which I mean, which are done by these, as we call it, them click businessmen. Because usually they are really like young men who don't care about any morality, uh, about any kind of facts or truths. They just, their main goal is just to create news and uh, get interaction from people. Because Facebook algorithm works so if you have more like clicks or likes, then more people will see it, more people will click on this news, which will lead to the website. And if there are more viewers of the specific website, you earn more from Google advertisements. And this is how these men uh, earn money. So it's easy way how to earn money. And the average amount people told me were like, you can earn 1000 euros per month. And, uh, Which is a very good wage for Latvia. Yeah, it's very good wage, and um, really like just just by using fantasy. And the, and what I was surprised for myself, you know, quite often we as journalists we hear, oh, I don't use media because it's only so negative and all about negative news. But these guys, they are publishing only negative news, like how bad politicians are, or let's dismiss parliament because neg these negative only these neg negative news attract people and mm. get interaction. So you can see there is this kind of like a dilemma, dilemma how it actually works. And this was something new because some of these click businessmen, they told us, told me, uh, we really wanted to make like neutral news or like to give some positive news, but... But that last, takes some effort. To see. Yeah, <laughs> people just don't read them. And this is, uh, I'm currently reading this, um, I finished book by George Lakoff, who is cognitive scientist. Uh, it's called Political Mind. And he is giving this explanation that our biggest mistake is that we still live in this uh, Enlightenment century perception, 18th century, that uh, all decisions are made based on rational facts. Mm. But actually, the way of thinking shows that 98% of our decisions are made by emotions. So we kind of, I assume we can see now all these posters with our political candidates for um, municipality elections and they are promising, you know, almost for free apartments and health insurance policies. And we, I, I assume many people unconsciously know that they are lying. Yeah. But you can't go against this. You will, you want to believe this. This is the same like you will buy a lottery because you always have this hope that maybe you will win this lottery. So it, it becomes like a post-decision rationalization rather than actually a part of the process of making the decision. Yeah, and I think I connect this is also with another modern term for the last years, like post-factual truth. When we actually deliver these facts to people, like what happened in Brexit, but still we can see that people don't listen to these facts. They have this kind of painful feeling. They are they feel offended or they feel like that they are government has forgotten about them and they will go and vote as a protest even they know that it's irrational. Yeah. And what the Lakoff is saying is that uh, so far what's the liberals or like Democrats um, biggest mistake that we are following the conservatives frame because for example conservatives are saying like refugees is a big problem nowadays and what we as liberals are saying no refugees are not a problem but we still are using these trigger words refugees and problem mm. and what he's Seems like an oversimplification to me. I mean, no one really denies that there's a problem. 
But but the problem is Lakoff is saying that we don't have to use this uh, we don't have to use these trigger words because they work unconsciously on people. We should turn around our thinking and uh, response in a different way to stress out what are the values of democracy, where we are living, how how we give opportunities for all the people. Not not to go in this frame what the currently like conservative people are using or like because of what what we can see also an example he is using that by using excuse about terrorism uh, many countries are now putting more like surveillance on citizens uh, on journalists yeah this, but this that's is... nothing new i mean you know the metonic system was kind of based on exactly uh, the same sort of principles but if I, this this is perhaps a philosophical discussion for another yeah. time yeah. i wanted to rewind and i and, and um I thought the really important thing that you mentioned with regard to these kind of click businessmen was that uh, they're kind of amoral. You know, they're not doing it. You know, you mentioned propaganda, but as you're describing mm -hmm. it, it's not actually propaganda. It's not the, you know, the incredibly clever Kremlin machine, which is putting in all these messages and making us all think a certain way. Mm -hmm. It really is just sort of grand cynicism and we'll do anything to get a click because we have no sense of morality whatsoever we have no sense of what the news is we don't really care whether people believe in the news anymore just so long as we get our thousand euros um, mm -hmm. a, uh, a month and I think that's quite an important thing otherwise you know there is this danger of falling into the uh, what we might call an the anti-conspiracy theory conspiracy theory which mm -hmm. is that uh, you know it's all being done by some super genius somewhere else. And it depends whether it's our super genius or his super genius. <laughs> Whereas, you know, this actually extends also into the idea of there being a great media conspiracy because anyone who's actually worked in the media knows that most journalists can't stand each other and they certainly have problems working with each other. Yeah. Um, and yet that also seems to have traction in Latvia, this idea that there's the Sorosistas or the Liberasts or whatever. Cultural Marxists, I think, is another one that people use, which I've never quite understood that term. It comes from Breivik, from from uh, Norway, from this shooter. Right. And, and these were national party people who started to use this on Twitter, this uh, term. Um, but... Uh yeah, yeah. And, and but I think there's, you know, there, there is room in the narrative for idiocy and there's room for the absurd and there's room for people doing things a bit like what you were saying about the voting mm -hmm. for seemingly inexplicable or contrary reasons. But you know you what know? I think, Mike, I've, I've also, I'm also been thinking about all this and I think that always there had been such kind of people, always yeah. there had been people without moral, without cynicism with cynicism but what's the biggest problem that they didn't have platform where to expose this yeah there was like newspaper or like tv and there were like uh, professional journalists who just didn't let them through but now because we have this internet and there are so many ways all these i'm sorry idiots and conspiracy theory uh, believers they can come out and so they can get this reflection on if you even and especially if you have some help um, unconsciously by some country which really also want to fuel this one then we can see What's the result? How how far it all all it is goes? Yeah, I was thinking about this on the on the way in. Actually, I was trying to think up some questions for you, and, and uh, I was thinking about um, uh, internet comments and so on because you've been subjected to some really horrible comments and so on. And I think that's partly because you're a woman as well, and people feel maybe threatened by that. Uh, and I and I was thinking, well, you know, but. Uh, you never used to get you never used to get such comments in letters to the Times, and then I thought, well, of course, because there was an editor who was editing the comments, and you would put in a you know two 
amusing or weird ones and some fairly rational ones. Whereas it's as if the letters page of the Times now is just uh, they will print anything that that people send to them. And having occasionally edited uh, letters pages in magazines and things myself, I know that quite a few of them come in green ink and go off the end of the page and are completely uh, insane. So maybe we've just sort of opened up the letters page a bit too far. Yeah, but you see, this is not so much even a problem if there is like times, because in times there will be different kind of opinions. And this is like it was in old time. Like I used to say there was one TV at home, there were three TV channels, and you were forced to see different kind of information. And this is when we come to another new modern term, information bubble nowadays mm-hmm. these people who don't read the times but they they read like this kind of letters only just one way only like spring day is bad and spring day is just sort of seats and they maybe even don't know what kind of job i have done on rebelt because they just see that somebody else is saying and they see this on these websites and this is the biggest problem that they don't come out and they are not able to see other opinions and what's even worse that they believe and i really can say not even it's not about uneducated people even at ed- educated people, which I observed in my work, believes that everything what's on internet, it's media. Mm-hmm. People don't see the recognize they don't recognize the difference between like a news website or like some blog or some conspiracy theory kind of website. For them everything is media. That's why when I see also this kind of opinion post which says that oh trust to media goes down, I really want to ask, did you specify yeah. which is media? Because many people, for example, Facebook can consider as a media. And uh, This is also which is a big issue. Well, then the million dollar question to finish with is how do we restore the idea of a credible news media, of credible outlets, credible sources? I mean, I was trying to think about this as well as probably everyone who works in this sphere is has done. Um, I haven't drawn any conclusions, but one thing I did think about was that, well, what was the last thing which has caused a revolution in our behavior the way that the internet has? It was probably something like the motor car. And now if we let people drive cars, they have to have a license, they have to have undergone certain training, they have to be not you know, mentally unstable, they have to have good eyesight. There are certain rules we provide for people who want to use this car, which is a deadly instrument. Uh, if we're talking about the weaponization of uh, the internet, maybe we should have some sort of, you know, standard for people to publish things or, I mean, what, how do you see it, it panning out? Or do we just have to accept that from now on anything goes and you have to wade through an endless amount of disinformation and hope that you're smart enough to pull out the real stuff? No, I think there are different kind, uh, different steps we have to take, but it's a long-term process. It's, it won't happen in one or two years. I think it's like uh, we should speak about like 10 years. One will happen technically because I know and I assume many startups in uh, Silicon Valley are now thinking how to create like trustable sources or like to show that this is like more or less fake news. So it's, it will be kind of automatization. Then for like really, really classical fake news, when we see like, like I showed in Castle, when this one website created this news that a 14-year girl has been lost and maybe she is kidnapped, mm. which was totally fake. For these crimes, you had to punish. It's the same crime like to say that there is a bomb in Central Station. Yeah. It's a criminal punishment. No, I just for- wanted to just clarify that for the listeners. Yeah, there was a, a story circulated on Latvian media 
about this girl going missing. And people in the, with the best of goodwill were retweeting it, were saying, yeah. look out for this girl. Actually, and also, I think, important to say that it's followed on a couple of previous real cases where people have been lost, kids in particular, and they've been found. And there's been this like really great yeah, social uh, outpouring of help. Whereas this was just something which was completely made up. And, you know, the ultimate in cynicism to get clicks, really, wasn't it? Yeah, so I, I really think it's the same like to say that there is a bomb in Central Station and you have to have criminal punishment for this one. And, uh, and then the next one, I, I really see uh, what after what happened in America after elections, that there is a subscription for New York Times and Washington Post and Republica grew, that people donated more money. So it means that there are part of people who now start to see the importance of traditional media, where at least there are some checked sources and, and there are some certain rules. So I hope also in these countries in our region, some people will feel fed up of this fake, yeah. uh, you know, news, and they will start to look for more trustable sources. But for the majority, I'm quite skeptical, and I think we will have to educate and repeat all the time. And uh, because people are weak and people are easily manipulated, and but it's human nature. But I tend to, I tend to, um, I mean, I agree with the fact that people are going to get fed up with it and give people a bit more credit sometimes than they than, than maybe some of us in the media do give them I think they'll get fed up but then the question becomes well what comes next but we'll we'll leave that for another question and the only yeah. uh, working definition that I've come up with for, for telling apart propaganda you know propaganda is that if you say we're great that's marketing if you say they're terrible that's propaganda well anyway that's my personal definition <laughs> anyway thanks for being with okay, me thank you in the inviting. pod today we could have done probably about four hours of this and wouldn't have uh, wouldn't have run out of things to say uh, thank you out there in listener land wherever you are uh, and i'll try to come back with uh, another guest in a couple of weeks for minutes from latvia cheerio minutes from latvia with mike collier Produced by Renar Steymans for Latvian Public Media. Find out more at www.lsm.lv.